It doesn't matter what you do, you can't impress some people. I must admit, though, I reckon that was pretty impressive. I reckon if I was there that day, I'd probably be pretty impressed with what I'd witnessed. I'd probably be pretty impressed and pretty impacted by what I saw. And I don't think I would be the only person here that would say that. It's not every day that you see a resurrection of some type. It's not every day somebody comes back from the dead legitimately, is seen by hundreds of witnesses, it's recorded in history, passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's not every day somebody comes back from the dead and modern day forensic scientists will study that process and come to the conclusion, you know what, it's actually quite legit. It did happen. It's not every day that we experience something like that. Imagine being those guys. Imagine running in and seeing that. And imagine what your life would be like after that. Imagine what your life would be like after experiencing something like that. It's transformative, the resurrection. Unlike this resurrection I'm about to share with you right now. A man was blissfully driving along the highway when he saw the Easter bunny hopping across the middle of the road. Hop, hop, hop. He swerved to avoid hitting the bunny, but unfortunately the rabbit jumped in front of his car and was hit. The basket of eggs went flying all over the place, candy as well. The driver, being a sensitive man as well as an animal lover, pulled over to the side of the road, got out to see what had become of the bunny carrying the basket. Much to his dismay, the colourful bunny was dead. He killed the Easter bunny. The driver felt guilty and began to cry. He sobbed like a baby. A woman driving down the same highway saw the man crying on the side of the road, pulled over, she stepped out of a car and asked the man what was wrong. I feel terrible, he explained. I accidentally hit the Easter bunny and killed it. What should I do? The woman told the man not to worry. She knew exactly what to do. She went to the car, opened up the boot, pulled out a spray can, walked over to the limp dead bunny, sprayed the entire contents of the can over the little furry animal. Miraculously, the Easter bunny came back to life, jumped up, picked up all the spilled eggs and candy, waved its paw at the two humans and hopped on down the road. 20 metres away, the Easter Bunny stopped, turned around, waved again and hopped on down the road. Another 20 metres down the road, the Easter Bunny stopped, turned around, waved again at the humans and then turned around and hopped on down the road. The man was astonished and he said to the woman, what in heaven's name is in your spray can? The woman turned the can around so that the man could read the label and here's what it said. Hairspray. Restores life to dead hair, adds permanent wave. (laughs) Now, I must admit, that's not as impressive a resurrection as the one we just witnessed on the screen, but uh, I think that one also would have an impact on my life too. Uh, Maybe a different kind of an impact. I might be sitting on somebody's couch right now, laying prostrate with my hands over my face, crying, talking about a spray can and a rabbit. They might take me off to a little room and wrap me in a certain jacket but you can't do that with this one we come to church today and we celebrate this morning not the death of jesus now jesus himself told us how to celebrate his death okay you can read about that in corinthians we'll read about it in the gospels jesus himself gathered his followers together one day in an upper room and he sat them down and the bible says that he broke bread and he said do this in remembrance of me this is my body broken for you He poured the juice or the wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Jesus, speaking of his own death, Jesus taught us how to celebrate his death before he was even killed. 
We've already done that this morning when Bevan got up. We do that every week. It's called communion. That's what communion is. It's a remembering of the death of Jesus. Today, we're not to sit here all somber and sober remembering the death of Jesus. I don't believe that's what today is all about. Okay, there'll be churches all around the place. There are Easter pictures and memes and all kinds of things. And, and we know the classic picture of Jesus hanging on a cross, crown of thorns, a drop of blood, all that stuff. Yes, that all happened, but that's what we remember when we take communion together as a group. Today is not about remembering the death of Jesus. Today is much more exciting than that. Today is remembering the resurrection of Christ. Today is a day where we celebrate the fact that he's not a dead Jesus hanging on a cross, but he's a live Jesus who walked out of the tomb. We're not celebrating a dead man on a tree. We're celebrating a live man who walked out out of a tomb. That's what we celebrate tonight. If that doesn't get us excited as a church, nothing will. A building won't get you excited. If a building gets you more excited than Jesus walking out of a tomb, you've got your priorities wrong. Amen? We've got our priorities wrong. If, if there's anything out there that gets us more excited, if a ministry opportunity or the chance to preach or the chance to lead worship Gets us more excited than hearing that, hey, guess what? Jesus sat up, bowled up, right? I don't know how it happened. I wasn't in the tomb at the time. Um, and I don't think there were no light bulbs anyway, so nobody really saw it. All we know is he went in there dead. When they came back and the tomb was rolled, he wasn't laying there anymore. The Holy Spirit went in there and touched him on the toe and bolts of power went through that body and he got back up. If that didn't happen, you and I are fools, we're stupid. We are. I don't mean to say that. I'm, I'm not calling you stupid. I'm saying if that didn't happen, you're an idiot. I'm an idiot. If that didn't happen, we are to be most pitied of any group of human beings on planet Earth. But I'm hoping we're here today because deep in our hearts, each and every one of us can say amen to that. Yeah? Jesus Christ is not a God hanging on a cross. He is not the man that was beaten, tortured, and battered anymore. He's a resurrected king sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee, whether it be things in this natural world, things in the spiritual dimension, at the name of Jesus, every single thing will bow down. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. That's the God that we serve. The Bible says the spirit that raised him from the dead, the spirit that went into the tomb, that touched him on the toe. Right now, if you are a believer and you've put your faith in Christ, the Bible says that spirit is at work inside of you right now. The power of God is working in you right now, that same spirit. I mean, if that doesn't get us excited, if that doesn't get us up on our feet with our hands in the air, I don't know what else can. We serve a resurrected God. You see, resurrection changes everything. That moment changed everything. Of all the pages that I needed right now, the 101 is gone. <laughs> Who's been stealing my pages? Somebody has come up here and stolen. <laughs> One of my pages. It's amazing. It's, it's been, is, maybe I can, it's resurrected over here somewhere, maybe. I don't know. It's gone. It's literally gone. There it is right there. Look at that. Hey? It's been resurrected. It's back. Amen. There's power in that. So here's the truth. Overcoming birth is really not that important and impressive, is it? I've got a fair... I'm going to have a stab in the dark, a guess here. You're amazing people, and I reckon most of you, probably all of you overcame birth at some point. Who overcame birth? 
If, if you're not putting your hand up again, I need to get somebody else up here with better qualifications than me. Who overcame birth in this room right now? If you're sitting here breathing air, you overcame birth. You made it. You got through it. Okay, it's excellent. Well done. You're a champion. You're here. You overcame birth. But overcoming birth is really not that impressive. A lot of people have done it. In fact, I'll have another guess. Every person that was born did it. Everyone that's ever existed overcame birth. It's really not that impressive, but it's cool. I'm glad you did because you wouldn't be here otherwise. <laughs> you know, the disciples, they followed Jesus who had overcome birth. But it really didn't change them too much. Jesus went in and healed Peter's mother-in-law. But it really didn't change Peter too much. He heals paralytics. He healed the blind, the deaf. He touched lepers. But it really didn't change the disciples too much. He cast demons out of people. He exercised authority over all the works of darkness. But it really didn't change his followers that much. He challenged religious leaders. He made the smartest of them look like biblical idiots. But it still didn't really change his disciples all that much. He proclaimed his own death. Then he marched headlong into Jerusalem to face it. But even that didn't seem to change the disciples too much. He upturned the tables of those who bought and sold in the temple, called out the corruption amongst religious leaders in the system of the day. Yet it didn't seem to change the lives of those who claimed to be his followers all that much. He voluntarily surrendered himself to Judas and the rest of the captors, even though he had authority to stop it. But again, it just didn't seem to change their lives too much. He was questioned, beaten, whipped, spat upon, accused falsely, paraded through town as a criminal, nailed to a cross between two thieves. But even that didn't seem to change the disciples' lives too much. He died, he was placed in a tomb. And still after all they'd seen and everything they'd heard, it didn't seem to change their lives all that much. I dare say they were different people. I dare say they had questions. I dare say they had opinions and some of their perspectives of life were shaken up. But the truth is most of them abandoned him when he was taken away. They turned and ran. So whatever happened in those three years, it wasn't enough to transform them into followers of Jesus. Whatever happened when he was crucified on the cross, it wasn't enough to transform them into the men they were going to become who would go around the world and turn the world upside down. I'm sure it had an impact on them. Many of them, when they scattered from Jesus, you read the gospel accounts in the book, many of them went back to their old life. They went back to their fishing and back to what they knew. There's three years walking around with Jesus and wow, he's hung on a cross, he's gone, he's buried, we're gone. It didn't seem to impact them too much. It had an impact, but it did not transform them into different people. But when they saw a resurrected Jesus, when they stood and they put their fingers in the nail holes and they looked him in the eyes, that's what transformed their life. That's what transformed them into the people that they were going to become. It wasn't Jesus hanging on a cross that transformed them. It was Jesus walking out of a tomb. That's what transformed the disciples. Yeah, the story is told of an African Muslim who became a Christian many years back. And his friends asked him this. They said, why have you become a Christian? Here's what he said. He said, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions. And you didn't know which way to go. There at the fork were two men, one dead and one alive. Who would you ask which way to go? 
there's something powerful about the resurrection. People that encountered a resurrected Jesus were transformed and changed. I praise God for the cross. I praise God for what he went through, what Jesus went through. Opened a doorway. You see, the cross opened a doorway for me to have a relationship with God. It dealt with the stuff that was between me and him. It dealt with the sin nature of humanity. It was dealt with on the cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Somebody has to die when something's done wrong. The book of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. We know that. We go back, we read the Old Testament. We see every year blood being poured all over the nation of Israel, everywhere, for, for the sins of the people. Every year they'd go back repetitively. Why? Because we know we're going to sin again. We know we're going to sin again. We know we're going to sin again. So every year we'll go back, we'll do it again, we'll do it again, we'll do it again, we'll do it again. See, Jesus was the last sacrifice to be made, not just for the Israel, Israelite people, not just for the Jewish people, but he was one final sacrifice for all of mankind. Every person, black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. African, Indian, Icelandic, Alaskan, doesn't matter. One final sacrifice that took care of sin past, took care of sin present, and took care of sin into the future. If it didn't take care of sin into the future, then you and me are in big trouble. Because we're claiming this may be past its use-by date. But see, there's no use-by date on the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the opportunity has been opened up for us to come to God. You see, God's got a dilemma going on in his hands. He loves humanity so much. He loves us. He really does. Think about this. If God didn't love us, why would he go to the cross? He's God. Why wouldn't he just wipe his hands and go, you guys are so out of control. I'm going to go over here and make another planet. Make another bunch of people, but I'll give them smaller brains. Maybe they won't think as much and they... You know, won't get themselves into as much trouble. Maybe I won't give them opposable thumbs. Maybe that's the answer. That way they won't, you know, be able to hold things and cause destruction. They can't pull a trigger. I don't know. But he could do that. If God is God, according to what the Bible says, he could have done that, but he didn't. So God's got this dilemma going on. He goes, you know what? I cannot let sin go unpunished. I have to deal with it. But at the same time, I love humanity too much to take it out on every single one of you. And that's where the cross comes into it. It upholds the justice of God because somebody paid the price for sin. It's been paid for. So the justice side of God is appeased. But it also upholds the mercy side of God because, you know what, God didn't want to take it out on you and me because he loves us, we're his children. And so on the cross we see the justice and the mercy of God collide and we are the blessed recipients of what happened on that cross 2,000 years ago. So the cross opened up a doorway for us to come into relationship with God. But here's the thing I love about Easter. It didn't stop there. If it was just about coming into relationship with God, the cross would have been enough. Why did he have to resurrect? Why did Jesus have to also come out of the grave? Why? Because if it's just about dealing with sin, it was done with. The wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus died. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Well, his blood was shed. As far as sin is concerned, as far as the thing that stands between us and God in relationship, it's dealt with on the cross. Why does Jesus have to come back from the dead? Why do we have to have the resurrection? Well, I think there's a really important reason why we have the resurrection. Because I think it shows us a part of the, the, the heart of God for us, that God is way bigger than we think he is. That God is interested in much more about our lives than what we give him credit for. I want to show you a verse in Romans, chapter 8. If you've got a Bible there, can you turn to this verse for me, please? 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, I went through the Bible this week and I, I found, I had this phrase running through my head, all things, all things. Now the Bible's got a lot of things to say about all things. There's all kinds of things it says about all things. And there's lots of times where all things is put together. And so I went through and I thought, how many, how many verses are there that talk about all things? Because God is all things. You know? and, and there's verses there like, like, like God is in all things. And God created all things. And all things were made through him. And that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you have faith, you can say to this mountain, all things are possible to him who has faith. There's so many things that the Bible says about all things. And it made me think, maybe all the things that it's saying about all the things, maybe that's because the God we serve is the God of all things. Maybe he's a God of all things. You know, I think some of us think that he's the God of some things. He's the God of some things, you know? And so maybe all he cares about is your salvation. Now that you've come to faith and your relationship with God is there and you've, you've confessed your sin, you've taken ownership for missing the mark of God. You've accepted the fact that Jesus died on a cross for you in your place. He copped what you deserved. You've accepted that and you've repented to God, which means you've just gone to God and said, I'm sorry, I take ownership of what I've done wrong, and you make a 180-degree turn and say, God, with your help, I'm going to walk away from that lifestyle. Repenting means do a 180 and start walking away. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes again. It just means that we come to God and we make that decision, with your help, God, I'm going to walk away from this thing. You, you, it doesn't mean you'll be perfect. But it does mean that we've made that choice in our heart. That's where our heart is going. It's an opposite direction to where we were going. Some people think that he's the God of some things. As long as you're saved, then that's all that you can expect. He'll give you a fire insurance policy so you don't go to hell when you die. But don't you dare expect another thing from God. If you're not happy with that, you ungrateful, sniveling human being. What more could you want from a holy, righteous God? You're not going to burn in hell for the rest of your days. Be happy with that. And be on your way. Yeah, some people think like that. Because he's just the God of some things. All he cares about is the salvation of your soul. And you know what? Yes, that is primary. But there's more to the story than that. Otherwise, he would have stopped on the cross. Some people think he's the God of some things. He's the God of some things, you know? Well, look, you're saved and you're going to heaven, but you know what? He is interested in a few things. I mean, let's, let's imagine you're dying of cancer. Yes, pray. Ask God. He might want to intercede. He might want to intervene there you know, with, with cancer or, or, or some big major thing. But if you've got a headache, please don't waste this time. Just take a Penadol. He's not that interested. Maybe we want money to build a building or to build an orphanage in Africa or to feed the starving millions. And that God gets on the edge of his seat and goes, yeah, I'm really into that. Come on, I'm going to pull money left, right and centre. I'm going to sell some cattle that I own on a thousand hills and get the money, I'm going to give it to you. But you want to have a holiday with your family because you've been working really hard. Or maybe the car's about to break down and you need a new car. Well, you know, that's your problem, not his. Don't bring that rubbish to him. That's not spiritual enough. He loves you and he's into the big ticket things, but that's probably, you know, you deal with it. You've got to close the deal, make a billion dollars because you're going to give half of that billion dollars to missions. And so God's interested in that. He's on the edge of his seat going, yeah, I'll give you wisdom. I'll speak to you. I'll make this happen. Let's do the deal. Sign it. I'll write out the checks. But you can't understand how your kids think. Read a book. Don't come to me with that. I'll give you wisdom for this stuff, but the other stuff, you work it out on the way. It'll be fine. It's kind of inconsequential. And some people feel like that with God. He's the God of some things, the really important things. I just don't, I can't, I can't see that in the Bible. 
I mean, a God of a few things or a God of some things is not going to waste his time counting all the hairs on your head. He's not going to waste his time counting all the hairs on your head. Luke 12, 7, I think it is, where Jesus says, you know, God even knows the numbers of hairs on your head. For some of you, the number's going down by the second. It's going down by the second. Can you imagine being heaven's accountant? having to count the hairs on the head. And every time you ladies get out of bed in the morning and you start brushing, he's like, oh, no, punching the numbers, another one out, another one out, another one out, another one out, another one out. <laughs> and if he's not quick enough to count, you know what he does? When you just leave the bathroom, he just goes into the sink and he counts them one, two, three. Or he grabs your brush and he pulls them out and he goes, one, 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 one. Imagine that. In the book of Jeremiah, God comes to Jeremiah and he says, you know what, I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. Psalm 139, David says the same thing. He talks about how God knit me together in my inmost parts. He maps out my days. He knows what's coming. He knows where he's taking me. I mean, this is incredible. This is incredible. He's not the God of a few things. The Bible doesn't give us room to think he's the God of some things. The only conclusion we can come to is if Jesus got up and walked out of that tomb, he must be the God of all things. He has to be the God of all things. Here's my question to you. Who are you remembering today? Are you remembering a God of some things? Is God this big to you? Is he just interested in your salvation and the rest of it's up to you? Eke your way through life and one day you'll die and get to heaven and then it'll all be good. But pain and suffering is your lot and you've just got to deal with it. Is he the God of some things? Are you sitting here this morning remembering a God of some things? Where he's a bit more concerned with a few of the bigger things, but only the really spiritual things, you know? He's only really interested in the spiritual things. He doesn't care too much about the other parts of your life because God just decompartmentalizes your world and goes, I'm interested in all the spiritual stuff, the natural stuff, I don't really care too much about that. If that was the case, the Tigers would not have won the grand final in 05 because I prayed thousands and thousands of prayers that they would win a grand final in my lifetime and they did. And it wasn't by might, it wasn't by their own strength. You just had to look at them. It was by the spirit of the living God. I can come to no other conclusion. Are you remembering today the God of some things? Or are you remembering the God of a few things? Because I think today, we need to remember the God of all things. We need to give God, get God back into his proper perspective. If it was just about salvation, he would have just died on a cross and been buried. Why did he rise? Why did he walk out of there? Let me tell you what Romans has to say about that. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, 32. Get this. What then shall we say? Now you go back and you read Romans 8. And Paul is just, he's just, he's on a roll. Paul is in a zone. Paul the apostle is in a zone. And he's talking about the goodness of God. And we go through struggles and trials, but God is great. God, and, he, and he gets on, and it, it builds and builds and builds till he gets to the end of the, of the, 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 the chapter here. In chapter eight. And it's almost like Paul gets to this point where he goes, oh, I don't know what else to say. How can I summarize this amazing repertoire of words I've just put together? How can I just give it to you in another simpler, plainer context? A little bit like the kids this morning up there, they're giving us Easter in just a simple term. And this is what Paul's doing. He's here going, right here, how can I simplify everything I've just said and just break it down and give it to you straight? So there's no misunderstanding, no misrepresentation. 
You don't have to be smart to get it. You don't have to know everything to get it. I'm going to give it to you as plain as I can. And here's what he says. What then shall we say to all these things I've just said? If God is for us, who can be against us? When you look at the cross, if God was not for you, he would not have wasted his time going to the cross. Why do it? There was no benefit for God. God is not incomplete. God is not insecure. God does not need us down here worshipping him. He doesn't need a planet full of people to go, Oh, I love you, Jesus. He doesn't need it. He's secure. He's got everything he does. It's not like Jerry Maguire and God looks down and goes, You complete me. You had me at the cross. It's not like that. It's not like that. This is what he's saying. What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me tell you something. God is for you today. If you get nothing else out of today, nothing else out of hearing that Jesus came, got off that thing, was put in a tomb, but rose again from the dead. Get this. God is for you. If he was not for you, this day would not have happened 2013 years ago, whatever it is. This would not have happened. But he's for you. He loves you. He's on your side. I don't care what you've been brought up to think. I don't care how you feel. You might feel like the whole world's against you. God is not against you. He's not against you. He's for you. What else can he do to show you that? Go on with the rest of this verse, please. Verse 32. And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. That's everyone in this room. Watch this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he... How shall he not with him? In other words, how shall he not, along with Jesus, how shall he not also freely give us all things? All things. Let me tell you something. Christianity, your relationship with God begins at the cross, but it matures through the resurrection. It starts at the cross. The cross is not the end, people. That's not it. That's not full stop, exclamation mark. The cross was the point where God said, right, I open a door to relationship. Now that we, it's like being introduced to, to, to a friend. And, and the first time I met my wife, she felt so incredibly head over heels in love with me, it wasn't funny. I mean, it was just so, oh, gosh. You ever seen those, those, those cartoons with the dogs? You know, the big dog walks around, and then the little girl, oh, we're best friends, aren't we? Huh? Huh? We're best friends, aren't we? Huh? It's just hanging off me all the time. Oh, jeez. Gosh, chasing after me. Oh, don't leave me. What are you doing? You complete me. But you know what? Let me tell you something. When I first met this beautiful woman, we weren't married. That may shock some of you. Hey, it's not always the case. Anyone ever seen married at first sight? They're getting married before they meet each other. You know, it's ridiculous. But we were not married. But when we introduced ourselves to each other, we began to build a relationship. That was the starting point. The cross is the starting point of your relationship with God. It's the entry point. It's where he says, right, that thing that's between me and you, it's now gone. Let's get to know each other. All the things that I've wanted to give to you, there's been a wall. There's been something between me and you. I haven't been able to get it to you. Now that sin has been dealt with, the cross has come. You've accepted your part in that process. You've repented and believed and turned, you, turned away from that stuff and turned to me. Now, now that relationship has started, all that stuff is gone. Now begins the process of us getting to know each other, of me pouring out 
out my heart to you, pouring the blessings into your life that I want to give to you, the dreams, the visions, all the things that God has stored up in his heart. That's the beginning of the process where he starts to pour that out to you. That's what Paul is saying here. He says, he who did not spare his son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also? He's given you Jesus. He's given you the cross. He's dealt with the the sin in your life. He's opened a door of relationship. If he'll do that, how much more do you think he'll want to give you outside and after that? What more do you think there is to come? If, that's, if he goes right for the hardest thing at step one, the most difficult thing at step one, the rest of it is easy. But you know what? It's amazing how many of us don't live with a mentality of a God of all things. We don't follow a Jesus who walked out of a tomb. We're still clinging to a Jesus hanging on a cross. Yet God has so much more for us. He wants us to move on. Our Jesus this morning is resurrected, people. The God we're worshipping right now is alive. God's not dead. Nietzsche was so totally wrong. God is alive. God is alive. You know, Nietzsche came up with that phrase, God's dead. Credit to him for being the first person who actually tried to live as if he actually believed that. Ended up driving him clinically insane. He went insane because he had integrity and he said, God's dead, therefore I'm going to live like God is dead. And the man went insane. The man went insane. God's not dead, people. Our God is alive. There's so much more that I would love to say this morning. So much more that I'd love to talk about. But I feel like we've gone far enough. If it was just about your salvation, the cross would have been enough. But he didn't stop there. He rolled back a massive, big bit of stone. And Jesus walked out of there. And let me encourage you this morning, when we go from this place today and you have your lunch and your dinner, and when you pray tonight before you go to bed, ask God to challenge your vision of him. Ask God to challenge how you see him. Is he the God of a few things for you? Is he the God of some things for you? Or is he, as the Bible teaches, as the empty tomb shows us and illustrates to us, is he the God of all things for you? Because that's what he wants to be. Amen? He's the God of all things. Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. God, I want to thank you so much that you didn't stop with the cross. You didn't stop just with dealing with sin in our life. Father, you love us so much more than that. God, we live in a world that doesn't believe that. God, we live in a world surrounded by people, most of whom don't even take the time to check it out for themselves. They're just gullible and go along with whatever's popular. Father, I thank you for great men and women who have searched after you, God, and have found that you are indeed alive. Father, I thank you for the archaeological proof, God, the scientific proof, the medical proof. God, our faith has a substance. Our faith has substance to it this morning. And it all hinges around this moment in history. Did you rise from the dead? And God, we, to a man and woman in this place this morning, declare, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Father, you took me when I was hopeless, 19 years of age, going nowhere, 
didn't want to be on this planet anymore. And you opened up my eyes and you showed me that you're there. And God, you've done that for many of us in this room. Father, I pray this morning for anybody sitting here. God, anybody here that's unsure, that doesn't know, that's not yet convinced. Father, I pray you would continue to speak to them. You continue to open their eyes and reveal reality to them, God. That you are there. That you're not just a figure hanging on a piece of wood with a drop of blood coming down your cheek. But today, Father, you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. You are a resurrected Jesus. And we thank you, Father. God, I pray as we go into this next week, each person here, Father, give us the opportunity to share that reality with somebody out there that does not know you yet. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic rest of your day. If, if something we've said this morning or something in the services has, has challenged you or touched you, I'd love to pray for you this morning. We're just going to hang around up the front here. We'd love to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus in this place, let me encourage you. Go and talk to somebody that does. Go and ask the right questions. It's, there's, there's too much on the line to just believe what the world says. Trust me. Okay? Amen.